Please join me in taking out your Bibles and turning to Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1, where we'll be for the next three weeks. As we turn now to God's Word, let's turn to Him once again in prayer. Please join me. Almighty God, our Heavenly Father, as we have just sung about hearing and listening to the voice of Jesus say, Come, Father, we come now to your word, your written word, and we ask that you would open our hearts to your word and open your word to our hearts that we would know what we are to believe about you and what you ask us to do in response. Oh, Father, may your word and spirit have their way among your gathered people today as we gather in Jesus' name and pray. Amen. Today begins uh, the church season uh, of Advent. It's a season of preparation. Today is the first Sunday of Advent. Uh, and, And while it may be a season of preparation, for many, for many, maybe within these walls, certainly for many outside these walls, it is not a season of rest. For many, it is anything but rest. Anything but rest. It's full instead of restlessness, worry, anxiety, fear, loneliness, discouragement. And I would say that you can also see that it's not rest for many people, it is rush for many of us. Maybe not the whole time, but certainly at times it is rush. It's rushing, not resting. However, from biblical teaching and what we will see in the biblical example of the nine-month time of preparation for the birth of Jesus, the coming of Jesus is a time of rest, a season of rest that is God-defined and God-provided. In the Navy, we were always looking for a little R&R. Many of you are in jobs that are intense, that are difficult. When you're on a ship far away from home and family and you're working sometimes 24 hours a day, and that is literally, you are looking for some R&R, some rest and relaxation. But in the Christian life, I think you want so much see in a lounge chair on a beach sipping lemonade. It's not going to be that kind of relaxation. It will be rest. It will be God-defined and God-provided true, deep, and lasting soul rest. The promise of rest. Uh, I want to give some background to the idea and the outline for this brief series Um, You you heard the New Testament reading from Matthew 11 
I want to read again verses 28 through 30. And we just sang a portion of that as well. Come to me, Jesus says, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Did you hear the call, the invitation? Come to me, Jesus says, and two things will happen. Guaranteed, you will be given rest and you will find rest. I, I was, it was interesting to, to once again look at Hebrews 4. And if you would look at with me on page 4 of our order of worship. Um, we, we say it often and pray it often that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. To receive mercy and to find grace. I mean, that's what Jesus is saying. You will be given grace and mercy. You will, be, you will find grace and mercy in me. Rest in me. But before we could come to Jesus, right? He had to first come to us. He had to first come to us. Uh, Luke chapter 1 verses 26 through 56 is the nine month backstory of Jesus coming to us through the incarnation. The incarnation, a mystery to be sure, but it is the second person of the Trinity, God the Son becoming flesh, becoming man. Christianity, you see, is not man becoming God, but rather God becoming man. It's not the ascent of man to God, rather it's the descent of God to man. Advent, the coming of Jesus Christ, his first advent, and we look forward to his second advent. It's God coming to man. Now, to be sure, the entire Old Testament provides the backstory. But the fullness of time, as Paul writes in Galatians 4 4, does indeed truly come. Luke 1 26 through 56 is the backstory to the birth of Jesus. And this nine month backstory shows us at least three kinds of rest. Resting in God's favor. Rest from thinking that you have to earn acceptance with God. That you have to earn it. It's also going to show us resting in God's community. It's resting from thinking that you and I have to go at it all alone. And finally, we will see it is resting in God's power. Rest from having, from thinking that you have to do it or indeed can do it in your own strength. Now, I want to tie this in with our series on the Apostles' Creed. In this short three week series, we will slow down and ponder the significance of this declaration. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born. Of the Virgin Mary. A few weeks ago, we looked at Jesus' humiliation born, bled, and buried. 
Today and next week and the following week, we're going to spend some time on the born aspect of Jesus' humiliation. And you may recall that I mentioned when it comes to Mary, there is Mariology, the study or the doctrine of Mary. There is also Mariolatry, the worship of Mary. Seeing Mary as somehow a source of salvation. Now this exposes a big difference between the Roman Catholic Church and the Protestant churches in their understanding, as it were, of the person and work of Mary. Now, sometimes Protestants deal with Mary by ignoring her or indeed rejecting her. But Mary cannot be ignored. She's in the Apostles' Creed. When I say she can't be ignored, I'm not talking about statues of Mary, paintings of Mary, or even the church in Covington called the Mother of God. No. I'm talking about Mary as the Bible presents Mary. We ignore her, we reject her to our detriment. And so we're going to spend the next three weeks looking at these verses surrounding this announcement to Mary that she will bear the Son of God. Look with me at Luke 1, 1 through 4. It's one sentence in the original language. Uh, It's a single sentence where Luke indicates the what and the why of the gospel. He's providing an orderly account. Why? So that Theophilus may have certainty. Isn't that interesting? Right off the bat, certainty in the faith, assurance in the faith. We saw that in 1 John. You see that at the end of John. You see it at the beginning of Luke so that you may have certainty of what you have heard and believed. Now from verses 5 through 38 is a prelude. It's the announcement of the conception and the upcoming births of two children of promise. John the Baptist and Jesus. The 400 year period of silence that begins with the prophet Malachi, is ended here in Luke 1. It's the transition from the Old Covenant to the New Covenant, from, and help me out children, from promises made to promises kept. Join with me now as I read Luke 1, verses 26 through 38. Now, and right before that, the birth of John the Baptist is foretold, and now the shift is over to Jesus. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph, of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one. The Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High, And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob 
forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be, since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. As we will see from our passage, resting in God's favor has two components. First, receiving the favor of God, and then second, responding to the favor of God. The outline didn't make it in to the pr- before the printing, but it's receiving the favor of God, verses 26 through 33, and responding to the favor of God, verses 34 through 38. There is a biblical history of people finding favor with God. And here are just three brief examples. Noah. Genesis 6, 8. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. Joseph. Genesis, 3, uh, Genesis 39, 21. But the Lord was with Joseph and showed him steadfast love and gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. And then as we heard in our Old Testament reading, Moses. Again, chapter 33, verse 17. And the Lord said to Moses, This very thing that you have spoken, I will do. For you have found favor in my sight. And I know you by name. So in verse 28, there is the declaration of favor. It's an announcement from the outside. But you'll notice in verse 29, there's an initial response on the inside. Mary, we read, is greatly troubled. She doesn't know what to make of this announcement. And and Luke, by investigating the account, and we believe Luke, spending time probably with Mary, got this firsthand. She is greatly troubled in her heart. Look again. At verse 29, but she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. But then immediately in verse 30, there's a command. Do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. Now children, and all of us when we were children, we remember being on the receiving end of a do this or do that. And often our response was, why? Why do I have to do this? Why? 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 Well, even before Mary can ask why, the angel Gabriel provides the reason. Why no fear? For you have found favor with God. Most of us, many of us, some of us may know that grace comes from a Greek word, Charis, charis, grace. Interestingly, verse 30, Mary 
For you have found favor with God can be translated rightly. You have found grace with God. It is the only place in Matthew, Mark, or Luke where this word is used. It's used all over the place in Paul's letters, but here it's Mary finding favor with God, finding grace. It's favor that's announced without any hint of request. If you look through the biblical history, there are times when people ask God to show them favor, and he does. But often there is no request. There is only God's kind initiative. It is freely bestowed. There is no hint of request. Mary it's clear, did not earn favor with God. Nor could Mary earn favor with God. She did not. She could not. It was freely bestowed. It was declared. Now, what is the particular favor that Mary receives? Well, of course, the rest of the text explains. She will be, as it were, the human mother of God. There is an out-of-the-ordinary conception by the Holy Spirit, but a rather ordinary birth, the normal course of labor at the end of nine months. The out of the ordinary conception and the ordinary birth, here is the divinity of Jesus and the humanity of Jesus being brought together. Now Mary did not choose this particular favor. And she would not have chosen this because the plans for her life would be radically altered. My friends, when we looked at Titus for the grace of God has appeared, we learned that grace is saving, grace is training, grace is orienting, but it's also disruptive. Did you hear that? God's grace disrupts our lives. God's favor changes our plans. Mary is going to have to go through all kinds of stuff, right? She's a scandalous woman. What is Joseph going to think? What's her family going to think? What's the community going to think? Her plans for her life, settling in with Joseph, having an ordinary life, are radically altered. She has been shown favor. And as the mother of God... Look what she is going, the mother of the Son of God. She's got, this particular favor means that she's going to bear the one who is called Jesus. Matthew says he will save his people from their sins. This man will be great. This will be the son of the Most High. And this man will rule not only over Israel, but he will rule over all. Mary is providing an example here for all of us. Because you see, the Christian life from the outset is being favored and finding favor. From the beginning, the Christian life is not somehow achieving the favor of God, but rather receiving the favor of God. My friends, there is no achievement on our part whatsoever. 
And so the first component of what it means to rest in God's favor is receiving favor. And the second component of what it means to rest in God's favor is responding to favor. We first receive and then we respond. Now yesterday, between running here and there, upstairs, downstairs, in and out of the house, I got to watch a little bit of college football. I sat down and I watched a few passes go to receivers and you know what they were doing? They were making their moves downfield with the ball before they got the ball, right? For those of you who have played tight end or wide receiver, what is your re first responsibility before you avoid the tackle? What's your first responsibility? You receive the ball. Then you make the move. So here is a reception and then a response. The proper response to the favor of God can be seen in the two times, notice Mary speaks twice, verses 34 and 38, responding to the favor of God first through trust, by trusting. It's Mary's first speech. Look at verse 34 with me. She's been given this amazing, astounding, life-changing announcement, and she says this, and Mary said to the angel, quote, how will this be since I am a virgin? She doesn't doubt the announcement. She doesn't ask for a sign. She is just puzzled because she's getting ready to be married. She's in a committed relationship as betrothal in ancient Israel was, but they haven't yet consummated the marriage through sexual intercourse. Mary is genuinely puzzled, how can this happen? I went through biology class. My parents have told me, how can this happen? Compare this to verse 18. Zechariah the priest, he gets an announcement. And this is Zechariah's response. Verse 18, and Zechariah said to the angel, how shall I know this? For I'm an old man and my wife is advanced in years. How shall I know this? Unlike Zechariah, Mary responds with faith and with respect when she is given a word from Gabriel, a word from an angel, as it were, a word from God. So she first responds to the favor of God through trust. And you see that trust in asking the question. She's not doubting. She's just saying, how is this going to happen? And of course, the, the explanation of the, uh, of the conception by the Holy Spirit is there in the verses that follow. But secondly, there's a response to the favor of God through obedience, by obeying. Look at her speech, as it were, in verse 38. And Mary said, quote, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. If you were here with us a few weeks ago when we compared and contrasted Mary and Pontius Pilate, the only other humans other than Jesus who are mentioned in the Apostles' Creed, we saw that for Mary, her fear of God was much greater than her fear of man. She 
rightly reverenced and respected the word of God much more so than she would fear the word of man saying all this, that, and the other as to what she's been up to. For Mary, the fear of man was greater, excuse me, was, the fear of God was much greater than the fear of man. For Pilate, on the other hand, as we saw, the fear of man was much greater than his fear of God and caused him to do what he did. So Mary here is a leading example of what it means to receive the word of God and to do his will. She is not a source of salvation. She is not sinless. She will say in her Magnificat, her song of praise, that she refers to my Savior. Sinless people don't need saviors. Mary is human and sinless and needs a Savior just like you and I and all of us do. But even though she's not in any stretch any kind of source of salvation. She should be neither prayed to nor looked to with any kind of reverence or devotion. In that sense, but, but we may genuinely learn from her faith and obedience because she models discipleship, submission to God's word of promise. So if you've been tracking with me, you respond to the favor of God through trust and through obedience. And Sarah and Rob, if we had an opportunity to send, sing many, many hymns, we would have chosen, of course, trust and obey. For there's no other way to be happy in Jesus than to trust and obey. That's it, isn't it? The Christian life, trusting Jesus, obeying Jesus. Trust and obey. That's the Christian life. So we see resting in God's favor means Receiving his favor and responding to his favor. But let me say it differently. Resting in God's favor means receiving his word and responding to his word. You see, the Christian life is receiving and resting on Christ alone for salvation. It is not a rest that you and I create, but it's a rest that we've been given. It's not a rest that we can somehow achieve in and of ourselves, but it is a rest that we receive. Our shorter catechism says it very well. What is faith in Jesus Christ? Good question, right? What is faith in Jesus Christ? Question 86. Faith in Jesus Christ is a saving grace whereby we receive and rest upon him alone for salvation as he is offered to us in the gospel. I hope we were all listening to our Old Testament reading in Exodus 33. Listen to verse 30, excuse me, verse 14 again. And he said, that is the Lord, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. My presence will go with you and I will give you rest. My friends, Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us. What does Jesus present through his life, through his death, through his resurrection? He presents his love 
for his people. You see, in giving us rest, he is showing us love. The bottom line of resting in his favor can be easily rephrased as resting in his love. The other day I was talking to a friend and it had been a while since we had talked in depth and he just reminded me, God loves us. He loves us. He loves us. My friends, that is a scandalous message, isn't it? Look at me. Look what I've done. Look at my past. Look at my present. I am not worthy of love. Yes and amen. He loves us. He tells his disciples over and over and over again. I'm doing this out of love for you. This is love. John says, not that we loved him, but that he loved us and gave his life as an atoning sacrifice. Now, I've been cautious to, to, to share a long quote. Uh, sometimes all of us get lost in a long quote, but I want to share the quote that was in the bulletin last December 24th on the sermon that had to do with the wonders of his love from joy to the world. It's from a book called um, Because He Loves Me by Elise Fitzpatrick. It could be retitled Because His Favor Rest on Me. Because I'm resting in his favor. Listen to this, what she says. It's essential for us to think about God's love today because it is only his love that can grant us the joy that will strengthen our hearts, the courage that will embolden us in our fight against sin, and the assurance that will enable us to open up our lives to him so that he might deal powerfully with our unbelief and idolatry. If we're not completely convinced that his love is ours right now, fully and unalterably ours, we'll always hide in the shadows, focusing on our performance, fearing his wrath. Prayer will be hard because we don't want to approach him or be transparent before him. Witnessing will be a chore. For who would want to talk to others about a God who is demanding, angry, or cold? If we don't consciously live in light of his love, the gospel will be secondary, virtually meaningless, and Jesus Christ will fade into insignificance. Our faith will become all about us, our performance, and how we think we are doing, and our transformation will be hindered. I'll send all of us that quote this week. It's worth reading again and thinking about again. A couple more things to say. But as good as this rest gets here and now, and my friends, it is a rest. A better rest is coming. It's not as good as it gets. A better rest is coming, and we see that in Hebrews 3 and 4 where the writer declares that there awaits an eternal rest for the people of God. And as Revelation 21 declares, the new heaven and the new earth is coming. And there will be no more tears and sadness and death 
and darkness and despair and weariness and sin rest in its glorious fullness will arrive because even though we have rest in Jesus here and now, sin still gets in the way. So my friends, the call to come to Jesus and rest is still being made. And by God's grace, it is still being heard. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. A few chapters later in Luke, when Luke announces Jesus' public ministry. We read in chapter 4, verses 18 through 19, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because He has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim, are you ready for this? The year of the Lord's Favor. Paul, in writing to a messed up church, the church of Corinth, and by the way, every church until glory is going to be messed up, he writes this in chapter 6, verses 1 and 2 of his second letter, working together with him, then we appeal to you not to receive the grace of God in vain, for he says, In a favorable time I listened to you, and in a day of salvation I have helped you. Behold, now is the favorable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. My friends here this morning, may all of us come and keep coming back to Jesus. Because you see, He is the only rest available for our heavy laden souls. And so may this season of Advent not be a season of rushing around, but a season of resting at the feet of Jesus where we will receive a deep and soul-satisfying rest no matter what the circumstances are that are swirling around us and indeed in us. As we sang last week to conclude our worship service, none but Jesus... None but Jesus can do who? Helpless sinners good. All those who have faith in Jesus Christ are those who rest in the favor of God. May God be pleased to grow us all from the youngest to the oldest here in the recognition that it is by faith in Jesus Christ that we now rest. And we always will rest in God's favor. Let's pray. Almighty God, our Heavenly Father, we thank you for this nine-month backstory to the visible and public arrival of the one who is fully God and fully man. We thank you, Father, that in the fullness of time, Jesus did come to do for us what we could not do for ourselves. He lived a life of perfect obedience in our place and on our behalf, and he died the death for our rebellious and sinful life of disobedience in our place and on our behalf. 
Father, may not only we rest in the story, the true story, the good news of Jesus' earthly life and ministry, his crucifixion, his resurrection, his ascension, his session, his promised return. May we rest in what takes place in the nine months before his birth. Oh, Father, help us to rest in your favor, the rest that we cannot achieve, but only receive. For we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.